0: All right, good morning, fellowship. We are rocking and rolling in the book of Ephesians. Man, I'm, I'm always excited. I really am. Maybe not quite as excited when we talk through the book of Isaiah because he had to be pretty smart and I knew I was in for a challenge. But man, I'm always excited when we start a new book, but especially the book of Ephesians. Here's a couple of reasons why. When I was 19 years old and came to Christ and started going to Campus Crusade for Christ, there was a pastor there driving in from Newburn, North Carolina to Greenville, and he was he taught through the book of Ephesians expositionally, all the way through the book. So the first time I ever heard a book of the Bible taught was Ephesians. That pastor ended up marrying me. And as I was studying this week, the last couple of weeks, I was like, man, what a great Memory. And what I did was, he told me I needed to take notes. I had never taken notes in class, less along for the Bible. So I want to tell you what he told me. Every week, make a new habit. Grab our notes, take notes, three hole punch it, and put it in a notebook and keep it for the rest of your life to go back to. You, that will take you to another place, folks. I still have notes from 1982, I think it was 82, in my file from the book of Ephesians. So I want to encourage you in that way. So turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. In 1962, there was a French geologist, geologist named Michael Sefer, And he conducted a series of experiments that involved sending humans into dark caves alone for months at a time without any calendars or clocks or contact from the outside world. They would check in one time a day at the evening. And what happened, what they found out was the foundational stuff that we now know is when humans are put in dark places alone for extended periods of time. One was that their internal clock was totally messed up. They would sleep for 16 hours and be awake for 40. There was a thing discovered called SAD, Seasonal Active Disorder. Uh, where some of you have experienced that. I experienced it when I lived in Cincinnati. Dark, yeah, I did. Dark clouds for February and January. uh, Causes poor concentration, oversleeping, feelings of worthlessness, and weight gain. Research has also shown that darkness can make us more likely to lie and cheat, make mistakes at work, major causes major depression it raises the risk of getting certain kinds of cancer they also did some research with POWs prisoners of wars prisoners of war who after put in darkness for only 7 days these prisoners of war could not think clearly they begin to have panic attacks and hallucinations With those POWs put in dark places alone, suicide rates went up 63%. So what we know in the physical world is this, that darkness destroys human flourishing, and it brings death. Now, the scriptures speak over and over about darkness. It it uses synonyms like sin, delusion, Heart of heart, blindness, broken, rebellious, trespassing, desolation. It is the consequences of us being born in spiritual darkness. And if the Bible is clear, crystal clear about anything, it is this, that the kryptonite to spiritual darkness is in a person. He is the light that comes to the world and destroys it. Listen to Jesus' words himself in John 8:22. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not, not maybe not, but will not live in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so what we know spiritually speaking, and in the physical world, that life and light go together like Adam and Eve, like, like Nutella and a spoon. You get it, right? <laughs> they just work and fit together. Where you have one, you have the other. So whether it's in the physical world or the spiritual world, this is a universal truth. And folks, you and I, for the next six, eight, well, longer than eight, a long time, We're going to jump in the book of Ephesians in this book that connects the realities of those two words, life and light. And I'm talking more about that later. Charles Spurgeon, called the Prince of Preachers, called the book of Ephesians the Queen of all the epistles. So this morning, as an introduction to the book, we're going to go back to the city of Ephesus where in that surrounding area where Paul wrote to these believers before we bring to bear this incredible book on ourselves and this body. So the first thing in your notes, it says the history and religious culture of Ephesus. Ephesus, back in Paul's day, was a city on the western shore of modern-day Turkey. Here's a map there. So you'll know where it was geographically. The city of Ephesus was an important cultural and commercial city in the ancient world 25 years after the resurrection of Christ. It ranked with Rome as one of the top cities during the heyday of the Roman Empire. It, 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 I read this week, this was strange to me, but it, there's a legend that it had a very strange beginnings and that it began by Amazon lady warriors. And it was named after the queen of the Amazon, Ephesia. It had about 250,000 people in Paul's day. It was the third largest city in the entire Roman empire. Now, politically speaking, uh, Ephesus functioned as the Roman capital of its Asian province. You've heard it said that all roads lead to where? Well, back in Paul's day, it also was said, all roads lead from Ephesus because of its incredible commercial hub there for everything that came in and out of that part of the country of Asia Minor. Minor. Culturally, it was very advanced for its time. Uh, in its day, it had a 24,000-seat amphitheater. Now, they didn't play football in it, but you get the picture had a medical school that trained doctors for all over the ancient world it was world famous for its baths and gyms and it was the host of what was known as the common games which was very similar to the olympic games for the greeks religiously like any roman city in the day it worshiped many many gods but Specifically to the city of Ephesus, it worshiped one particular god. Her name was Artemis, and here's the picture of her. There she is in all her beauty. You can read about her for sure. She was also identified by the Romans as Diana. So if your name is Diana this morning, I apologize. (laughs) Artemis was known as the goddess of wild animals, vegetation, and childbirth, and she was supposed to be the daughter of Zeus and the twin sister of Apollos. All over Ephesus, you could buy these little statues of her. Think, Think like bobbleheads, right? And they would protect you and bring you good luck. The Artemisium was a building It was a temple that housed Artemis, and there it is. It was massive. Uh, It was known as one of the seven wonders of the world. It was larger than the Greek pantheon. It was massive. I I can't remember the exact titles or the exact dimensions, but uh, that's where she lived, and that's where much of the worship in the city of Ephesus took place. Also in Ephesus it was a magic center. It wasn't like Disney World the magic kingdom, but legit magic back in the day was the center of ancient of the ancient world for the practice of magic. You can read Acts 19. Matter of fact, a great uh, thing for you to do this week is read chapters 18, 19, and 20 in the book of Acts that lays out all a lot of what happened in Ephesus. When Paul was there. But Acts 19 tells us we see the Ephesians making lots of cold cash off of magical practices and trinkets. Bruce Metzger, a New Testament scholar, put it this way. He said, of all the ancient Greco-Roman cities, Ephesus was the most hospitable to magicians and sorcerers and charlatans. Well, an example of that I read was that you could actually buy these things called um, Ephesian letters. Think Scrabble, okay? So you buy a bunch of Ephesian letters and you put them together and you make a word and you make a bracelet or a necklace and you wear them to protect you and to bring you good luck. Those things sold like hotcakes in the city of Ephesus. There was also in the city a a Jewish synagogue. Now, it wasn't the most orthodox synagogue in the world. It was far from it. But there was a guy there, again, you can read in Acts 19, a guy who had seven sons, and his name was Sceva. He called himself a Jewish priest, but he was actually an exorcist as well. And there's lots of evidence that the Jews in Ephesus were major believers in this pagan magic of the day. So here's what we know. This is the world that the Apostle Paul walked into, wild and woolly. Next in your outline, it says Paul's ministry in letter to the Ephesians. In Acts 18, 18 through 21, in A.D. 52, Paul visited Ephesians Or Ephesus for the first time and he did so you can read in Acts 18 with two gals who were they Priscilla and Aquila we'll call them P and A okay Priscilla and Aquila Paul as he often did he immediately visited the Jewish synagogue and there was actually some interest there by the Jews but he had to leave and he left Priscilla and Aquila behind In doing so, they met a preacher named Apollos. And the Lord, Acts 18, tells us that the Lord had instructed him, and he was teaching about Jesus, but he needed some more equipping, so Priscilla and Aquila actually did that. The the text tells us they taught him in the way of God more accurately. So that was Paul's first visit to the city of Ephesus. In A.D. 53, the next year, Paul returned for his second visit, and he stayed for three years. You can find that in Acts chapter 19. In 57 A.D., at the end of the three years, we see that Paul, after that three-year stay, in Acts 20, 31, calls the Ephesian elders to himself To himself, and he tells them goodbye that he would not see their face again until all eternity. It was a powerful moment as Paul's ministry in Ephesus wrapped up. Acts 20, 31 says, Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul, his life into these believers in the city of Ephesus. Listen again to a more detailed description of his forever goodbye to the Ephesian elders. It's one of the most powerful statements in all of Scripture as we think about withward with the body. Acts 20, 36 through 38. And when he had said these things, speaking of Paul... He knelt down and prayed with them, the Ephesian elders, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. There was a deep connection, a deep withwardness, a deep love for each other that only comes by spending time with each other and investing in each other and caring for one another. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And then, 10 years after Paul visited the city of Ephesus for the first time, Paul writes this incredible letter to the church that had developed there in Ephesus. Ephesus. And it also went to surrounding churches in the area. It was about 60 or 62 A.D. Paul was in his first Roman imprisonment when he wrote this book. And in that first Roman imprisonment, he not only wrote Ephesians, but he wrote Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. That's why they're called the what? Prison epistles. God allowed Paul to be placed in prison so Paul would have time to write these churches. That's how we view that. What a great perspective for you and I when life falls out from under us and we're put in very difficult circumstances. God has allowed it and he wants to still use us for his kingdom in the midst of it. Acts 28 verifies all of this for us. There's some other nuggets in terms of Paul's ministry uh, in the city of Ephesus. Uh, the first one is Acts 19, verses 8 through 10. And again, you can read that on your own. But what happened was for three months, as Paul was his normal practice when he entered a city, he went to the synagogue and he began reasoning with the Jews that. Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Messiah. And in this particular situation, the Jews did not like it. They didn't agree with it. So what Paul did, he just said, okay, if you don't believe, I'll just go back home and eat chocolate bonbons. No. Paul said, cool. I'll wash my hands. I'll walk across the street, and I'll rent out a place called the Hall of Tyrannus. The Hall of Tyrannus sounds like a dinosaur, but it's not. It was a place in the day across the street from the Jewish synagogue that was really held for philosophical lectures. And it was there that Paul started the first school of theology for four to six, seven hours a day, every day. Paul would teach the whole counsel of God. And as we read those chapters in the book of Acts, Acts 19, we see that he did that for two years. And so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Here was the center point or the hub of how all of Asia was exposed to the gospel. Man, Paul was faithful to unpack the scriptures on a daily basis for a culture that knew nothing of the living God and God used that as Christ's followers begin to multiply. And then, and I love his creativity, right? To rent out the hall of Tyrannus. And then in Acts 19, 11 through 20, Paul is in a major conflict with this pagan magic man. Uh, You remember the seven sons of Sceva I mentioned? Uh, Well, Paul was doing miracles, and Skeva and his seven sons, their little magical uh, sh- uh, show there, they wanted to jump in on those miracles. So they said, if they can do miracles by the name of Jesus and Paul, then we'll start doing miracles. We'll add that to our little magic uh, routine. And when they did, it says that demons jumped on them. They beat and his seven sons up, and they ran away naked. That's in your Bible. That is wild. Go read it. I I just read it two or three times. Does it really say that? Yes. So all that chaos and commotion that went on with Sceva and his seven sons, that hit the newspaper the next morning, the Ephesian Times top headline. Sceva and his seven sons beat up by demons, ran out of the city naked. Everyone, that went viral. Everyone heard that. Everyone heard that and they said, uh oh. And here's what happened they started bringing in their magic books and potions and everything else and burning them. Verse 17 of Acts 19 tells us everyone in Ephesus hears about it many came to faith in Christ they confessed their sins of demonic practices and magic they brought their books and burned them in a big old bonfire right there in the city and it said that the number of books burned would have cost 50 thousand or 50 pieces of silver another way to put that is 50 1,000 daily wages for the regular person in the city of Ephesus. I looked up what would that be in today's money. That's a million dollars of magic books and got burned. Boom. There's a lot there that will help you. 18, 19, and 20 of Acts to give you some context of the world in which Paul ministered in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus. So not only do we have the history and religious culture of Ephesus or Paul's ministry and letter to the Ephesus, but let's take a look at our study of the book of Ephesians. As I mentioned earlier, we're calling this series Life and Light. And the reason is is that this book splits up very nicely with the first three chapters being life, And the second three chapters being light. Here's what's happening in the first three chapters. God is spiritually raising folks from the dead, giving them eternal life through the death and resurrection of his son. And here's how I think we could summarize the first three books or first three chapters in the book of Ephesians. And it comes from, and I put this in your notes, Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that's all of us, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind, powerful next two words, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That summarizes the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. And what Paul does, he makes it really crystal clear. There is no eternal life unless it is found in Christ. Matter of fact, he uses this phrase, in Christ, and Rob spoke about it a couple weeks ago. We're going to speak about it over and over here 27 times in the book of Ephesians. And in this first section, these first three chapters, Paul will answer, ask and answer these questions. Who are we? Whose are we, and what is it that holds us together as the people of God? I can tell you what it's not that holds us together. It's not our profession, our job, our money, our skin color, our likes, our dislikes. And if you're like me, as humans, we have one thing in common, and that is we've tried to answer those key questions who are we? Whose are we? And what holds us together as the people of God? We've tried to answer them in a very horizontal search, and it has brought us, if we're honest, many of a heartache, <laughs> many of a tears, much anxiety, and what it sure enough didn't bring us, it didn't bring any of us life. In between chapters 3 and chapters 4, at the beginning of chapter 4, there is a therefore. And what Paul is saying is any writer of the New Testament says when he uses a therefore is that in light of everything I've talked about, about where life is found, in light of that, this is now how you live it out. Chapters 4 through 6. And the word we're using to describe those three chapters is the word light. In some ways, once we have life in Christ, this life shines a light on what is true, what is right, and what is good. This light allows us to see how we were living, and it now shines its rays on how to live in these three chapters. How is it that we are to flourish as humans? Chapter 4, 5, and 6 tells us that. It it, it lights up for us, if you would, what that looks like. What does it look like on a very daily, practical level to live as a person who is now alive in Christ? Ephesians 5, 8, I think, summarizes these three chapters, verses 4, 5, and 6. When it says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk, live as children of light. And how do we walk in the light? Here's what 4, 5, and 6 is going to unpack for us. When we were in darkness, we lied, but now in the light we tell the truth. Anger and peace still and generous. We gossip, now we encourage. We seek revenge, now we seek forgiveness. We were full of sexual promiscuity, now we have self-control. We were under the influence of alcohol, Ephesians 5, now we're under the influence of God's Spirit. And in that, these chapters will unpack for us that under this influence of God's Spirit, we will be taught how to worship We'll be taught to be grateful and thankful. We'll be taught how to put others before ourselves. We'll be taught about the roles of husbands and wives and how to fight spiritual evil. Now, is there anyone in here that does not need that? <laughs> don't raise your hand, even if you don't think it's true. I need it, I need it badly. In these first two verses, let me read these to you. Paul begins this letter of Ephesians to the folks in Ephesus and the surrounding area. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins this letter this way. Notice that Paul calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ, which means he was sent by the sovereign hand of God. And if you remember Paul's story nearly 30 years earlier, where Paul's name was not Paul, but it was what? Saul in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Paul was this, or Saul, Saul was this elite intellectual Jewish Pharisee. The Pharisee above all Pharisees, he was an incredible persecutor of the church. And Acts 9 tells us of his conversion story where he personally met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And while he deserved God's wrath as an enemy of God and as an enemy of Loud enemy of the gospel, God instead gave him grace, saving grace, free grace. An apostle is one who has seen the risen Christ. Paul was on mission under the authority of the living God, carrying the message of the living God. So he's an apostle and next paul uses three words that i think i want to highlight this morning that i think he highlights here these are three great words one is saints then grace and peace the word saint there we can think of that as someone who lives perfectly it's not that someone who has a statue made of them someone who has over time and history is is As some religious believers believe, they make a statue of and worship and give a name to the sainthood of Blake Waldron. Wouldn't that be profound? No. <laughs> Here's what the New Testament teaches that a saint is. It is a person who has placed their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation. It is a Christian. It is a believer. We are not saints in our behavior, but positionally we are saints. That's how God sees us. And we're going to learn more about that as he lays that out in the first three chapters. So look to your neighbor and say, good morning, Saint. Add their name to it. Good morning, Saint John. Okay. It actually means "those set apart. It is the the foundational identity of a Christ follower. The next word he uses is the word grace. And I'll tell you, if anyone understood grace, (laughs) it was the apostle Paul. It is the Greek word charis that is used 11 times in this book of Ephesians. It is often called free grace. It is free because God gives it to whomever he pleases. Paul sure didn't deserve it, nor did he earn it. Often it's referred to as ill-deserved. Undeserved, yes, but also ill-deserved because it's given to those like us who deserve wrath, punishment, and judgment. So grace. And then the third one is peace. Peace is the fruit of grace. The scriptures and the book of Ephesians, specifically in the first three chapters, will tell us that you and I, being born a sinner, were at war with God, and that war is over. And that war is over because we've been not only reconciled to God, we were his enemy, now we're his friend, and Ephesians is going to teach us that, that we have peace with God. Years ago, a great theologian stood right here in this pulpit. His name is Kevin Perry, and he used this phrase that I have never forgotten. Peace is in a person, and that's what the book of Ephesians will teach us. Paul reminds the Ephesians and us that God the Father is not distant in this opening few words or impersonal. He is our Father, and that through those he saves, through his Son He declares their new identity to be one of a saint, and he gives them free grace, and he produces gospel-centered peace. And those are the very things that will infuse life and light into us as we grow into maturity of Christ's likeness. So the book of Ephesians is going to be a phenomenal book. Let me talk about some practical applications for us as we wrap up this morning. And the last point is withward with the body, which is actually our so what. Monty spoke last week in Vision Sunday that our emphasis for a church is withward with the body. And we put it like this. Matter of fact, I want us all to read it together. I'm going to say one, two, three. We're going to read these words together. Ready? One, two, three. Connecting with word as the body builds Christ-like maturity and displays the love of God to the world. Man, that was powerful. That was good. Y'all good readers. The book of Ephesians teaches us in chapter 2, verse 15, that God wants to break down the dividing walls between Jews and Gentiles in their context and therefore each other so he might create, it says, a new humanity, a new family, one that is filled with unity around Jesus, peace, respect, grace, forgiveness, and kindness so that we would mature in a way that we love each other the way we have been loved by Christ. That is so easy to say but it takes a lifetime to apply in every situation. But that's the driving message of the gospel. That's the driving power of God's spirit at work. That's what he wants to produce, to work through conflict, not absent of conflict, but to work through it in a way that increases intimacy and connection with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But notice it doesn't stop there. When all of that happens in here, it gives us a mouthpiece and influence where? Out there. Because we are naturally hungry for that as a people, whether we know Christ or not. We are a people on mission, but first we must be a people committed to our own growth and maturity. A people who, like Paul, this is where we got to get to who have been literally stunned by the grace of God and that God would produce in them not only peace with God, but peace with others. A people who have been brought to life and now are able to see and live by the light of God's word, life and light. Here's what one scholar Kyle Snodgrass said about the book of Ephesians and its connection with word with the body. He says, Ephesians is relentlessly relational. All relations in this letter are viewed not individualistically, but from the perspective of union with Christ. It is from this union, and this quotes in your notes, with Christ that we are to relate to God and others. We are part of Christ and part of each other. Not surprisingly, then, the themes of unity, peace, and the body of Christ have a dominant role in the letter. God is honored in the company of people bound together in who? Christ. Now, what do we say at fellowship? Together is what? And Monty and I didn't make it up. It's right here in Ephesians and many other places. So, two very practical things takeaways i'm going to give you now i'm going to give you several but i need to give you the first two ready one is community groups monty mentioned that it's on that card that you were given last sunday and this sunday you can sign up for community groups and here's why we say that you cannot be withward with the body if you're not with the body let me say it again. You cannot be with word with the body if you're not intentionally with the what? You can come in here Sunday morning, an hour and 15 minutes, say, what's up, dog? What's up, you my boy, you my boy. And you can do that and not know anyone. Our people, I've been leading our group for two years in our community group, and this year, this semester, we're gonna tell our life stories. We've built enough trust in knowing each other And guess what we're going to do with each other over the next three months? We're going to weep with those who weep, and we're going to rejoice with those who rejoice, and we're going to connect at a level that the vast majority of us never get a chance to with what were two years ago total strangers. And it's going to change every person in that room, including myself. Community groups. Secondly, there's a brochure that Monty showed you, our leaving piece. Obviously, a lot for you to find out. And there's a lot of new people here. We saw that from the survey, did we not? People were coming here from all over the country just to go to Fellowship Bible Church. It's absolutely amazing. <laughs> but what we want you to do is man, take that. People are lonely. They are dying for connection. And invite them to church as an invitation. Check this out. We'd love to have you start the conversation. This is a place because of the Lord Jesus not because of me not because of money that will change their life now I want to give you the third so what warning there's a warning here that I was very convicted over this week because I've had dry seasons with the Lord and the warning is the church of Ephesus was one of the most mature churches in our New Testament. So much they did right, but fast forward to the end of the first century where we see the apostle John write in Revelations 2 the words of the Lord Jesus himself who confronted the church in Ephesus. And this is what he says. But I, he had listed all the great things they had done, but he said, but I have this against you that you have abandoned your first love Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you first did." We abandon our first love when we fail to love each other as Christ loves us and we don't meet with the Lord. And so my encouragement to you is this. It takes 20 to 25 minutes minutes to read the book of Ephesians. Some of y'all are like, he's lying. No, I'm a slow reader. I'm a PE major, okay? I did it. Get on a Bible plan. Wouldn't it be great if our church read through the book of Ephesians 30, 40, 50, 100 times between now and the end of the year? That God's word is just pressed upon us in a way. We see new things every time we read it because it's alive not a dead book. So take a minute this morning and apply one of those so what's. One of those so what's about the intro to the